Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, the college football committee issues its new rankings. And guess what? Utes are still number seven. There weren't enough dramatic results that you would expect a lot of moves, but I think the one that should catch everybody's attention is the fact that Minnesota has dropped to 10 after their first loss of the year, and they are now behind Penn State. Both those teams have one loss, and they played head-to-head, and Minnesota won. And that just goes to show you what uh, Tim Brando is going to talk about uh, coming up later this hour, and that's that brand names matter. Marquee names matter. Penn State's got one. It's all relative. Penn State's got one. Minnesota doesn't. Now, Penn State doesn't have the name that Ohio State and Alabama have. Their name's not as big as those schools, but it's bigger than Minnesota. And as Tim Brandle's about to point out, brand names are going to matter when we get to the playoffs. And so the, the four are out, and Georgia's four now, but they're not going to stay there if they lose to LSU. And I think Ohio State's the only – maybe I shouldn't overlook Clemson. But I, I, don't think Ohio, I don't think LSU's losing to a one-loss team. I think they'll beat whatever one-loss team they play, and I think they'll beat Georgia in the SEC title game. And the youth's best path is to see a lot of these teams pick up a second loss and just get them knocked out of the conversation. Then we don't have to debate it. And the youths need to win out and probably be two or three one-loss teams left fighting for that last spot. All right, we'll hear from Tim Brando coming up. But right now, Utah State's got to play Boise State this weekend, coming off a good win over Wyoming. They've still got a chance to win at least a share of the division title. PK and I... Visiting with Aggie head coach Gary Anderson. Gary, good morning. What's going on, guys? How are we? <laughs> Just having a blast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm sure you are. Yeah, I'm good. Just getting ready for the next one. Yes, the next one is Boise State, and there are a lot of Aggies wondering uh, about Jordan Love's status. And I love the fact that you mixed it up in the postgame Saturday. You didn't go with the, the no comment. You went with a, I'm not talking about that. That was classic you, Gary. Well, I'm not talking about it now either. <laughs> That's what I thought. PK thought there might be progress made over the last couple of days, but no, okay. nothing, no, no, nothing there. Just uh, stay tuned. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody gets in that situation in, in the colleges, and you don't have to have an injury report. Kyle's dealt with it for years, and so you say, "Well, we'll see how the week goes," and we'll see how the week goes. But uh, for now, we know that if he doesn't play, that you've got Henry ready to go. Uh, I want you to evaluate his performance as far as he played. I thought I thought it was okay myself. I don't have the eye that you have. You know, maybe that that deep sack that he took was bad, but other than that, I thought he was all right. Yeah, he was. Uh, the 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 sack was probably the best thing to do. That was a disaster waiting to happen if he threw it. Number thirty for Wyoming, who is you now he's probably the defensive player of the year in the league, I'd imagine. Um, or close to well, maybe the defensive end from Boise have really good players, but uh, he's one of the best in the league, and he was right on it. He probably would have undercut that thing and potentially picked it off and went all the way for a touchdown if, if Henry would have thrown it. So I think that was a very good decision to eat that ball and made the punt a little bit more uh, difficult, but uh, that was good. And he he was solid. You know, I think he came in, he pulled the ball. His athleticism helped us in spots and in situations. The 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 uh, the bender that he threw over the middle of the field was a great throw. It was a big time play and a big moment when we needed it to get a first down and keep the clock grinding and what uh, ended up being an extremely close football game so Henry's a tough kid you know he's a coach's kid he's a competitor that's not to discount mom in any way shape or form but uh, they're both awesome people but he's a he wants to get in the moment he'll practice well when he gets the opportunity he has all year long when he gets those reps obviously his reps are, are limited to what Jordan takes but uh, you know he, he came here to be a, a big time 
quarterback, and when he got his moment, uh, bottom line, at the end of the day, um, the score was on our side, so he did his job. You know, when you're coaching, there's, uh, there's a lot of money, and there's politics, and there's egos, boosters, presidents, ADs, coaches. There's all kinds of stuff. You must have awesome stories about the stuff you've seen over the course of your career. And yet all of that stuff is also juxtaposed against a walk-on who gets a former walk-on who gets two interceptions, clinches the game, clinches a bowl bid, and is crying at the podium in front of the media afterwards. Uh, in, yeah. in the midst of all the money and the cynicism, that's, that's a pretty cool story. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, Eric is a walk-on and came here and uh, has battled his tail off. And, you know, he's, it's just, you say it right, I don't really even have the, the words to say um, how cool that is. Um, he's an amazing young man, and to see a kid be in a spot like that and be in the spotlight and then have it mean so much to him um, because of his teammates and because of his university is it's as, it's as special as it gets, and that's uh, that's worth a lot of tough times, a lot of good times, great times, and everything in between. But to see him be in that spot um, and be as you know as happy as he was, and uh, I'm just as happy as he was. Trust me, because it's a it's an awesome scenario for him to be in, and you know he's got these Player of the Week honors that I'm sure are going to come his way. Some already have, uh, extremely well deserved, and, and just for him to you know sit up there and put his team first and uh, relationships with players, it means a lot to all of us as as coaches and players, and um, I'm sure Aggie Nation feels the same way. So to see him cry like that, I mean, I thought, wow, this is the dark side of the Munoz. <laughs> yeah, and it's emotion is a good thing, in my opinion. And I'm an emotional guy; I always have been. Um, I just think it's it's that's Eric being Eric, and it's a kid that's not afraid to let his emotion show. Which, quite frankly, in today's day and age, it's pretty special because a lot of most kids. Um, most people, in fact, won't let their guard down uh, because it may look seem uh, vulnerable or whatever it may be that they think that. But it's just the opposite. It shows how tough he is. It shows much how care factory shit has. It has. It shows his grit, um, and he cares what he thinks about and his emotions he wears on his sleeve. And I think it's awesome. Um, to have people that will actually, you know, when they believe in something and they get something that means something to them in a special situation to have some emotion, that's a beautiful thing. Gary Anderson, Utah State coach, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, PK uh, likes to talk about conference games and the teams knowing each other, the staffs, having recruited the players and all that. They just had like a certain grinding quality. It certainly wasn't a perfect game. You had the early turnovers. You must have been grinding your teeth down 7 nothing with two turnovers and a pick six. And at the same time, they end up with four turnovers. You have a bunch of takeaways. Do you just end up a little exhausted when that thing is all over, riding that roller coaster through that game? That that's uh, you know five of those six conference games have been like that, and the Wake Forest game was absolutely no different. So this team is, you know, when it's all said and done, you look back at this team, and you know we're all far from perfect, and uh, we'd all love to be perfect every week. But this team is just the, the way they fight, the way they believe, the way they find a way to make plays in so many different ways. You know, it's a uh, you know, defense gets punched right in the mouth right out of the beginning, and here you go. You're up, and you're on about the 20, 25-yard line, whatever it was. And, you know, we turned around and get very aggressive with the calls, and Justin became very aggressive in that spot in that moment. And the kids answered the aggressive calls in a very positive way and got us out of that drive and got a turnover. And, um, you know, and then offense – 
gets, you know, kicked right in the face there with the touchdown going the other way, and, and the player makes a great play. I mean, they bat the ball, they get two picks, and that's a couple things go their way. And uh, But they keep fighting, they keep battling against what is not a good defense. It's a great defense. Uh, Wyoming is a great defense, and they've proved that all year long, and offense did enough. But this, this team is as hard as it is to go through those moments and, you know, just keep on grinding and working through it for them and for coaches and everybody involved. You know, they've done it, and that is an, it's an awesome thing for a team to be able to just – not point the finger, not woe is me individually as an offense or defense or as a position group. They just keep on fighting and keep on battling. Has it gone their way every time? No, it hasn't. But, uh, you know, the majority of the time it has gone their way. They've reached bowl eligibility, which um, – that is a great thing. And are they done yet? Are we satisfied? Absolutely not. Um, I think anybody that knows anything about us and our team as a whole, they would understand that. But you do need to be rewarded, and it's a great accomplishment to get to bowl eligibility. Um, that's why there's bowl games. If you, if it wasn't, it didn't mean anything. When you got to six wins, then they wouldn't give you a bowl game berth when you got in that situation or an opportunity to go to a bowl game. You'd have to get to seven. Well, that's not the case. You get to six. Um, you get rewarded, and so these kids need to enjoy that. Back to this Munoz thing, how beneficial can it be in recruiting to hold him up as a standard to kids? Hey, you come here, you stick with the program, and you'll get your chance, and you can go ahead and sell that to kids that if you have the determination, I dare say that you too can shoot the Munoz. I like that, but you know, I say it all the time to you, we don't talk about selling things, we talk about showing. So first of all, show them that, absolutely yes. I think our our uh, reputation here as far as walk-ons and what we've done as a staff here at Utah State for, for many, many years as it's going through time, um, and other places that we've been, that the walk-ons are very important. It gives them an opportunity to say, hey, it's not just come over here because we don't believe in you if we're taking you as a walk-on. You know, we don't have 120 kids on this team, 125 kids on this team like a lot of people do. So our walk-ons are recruited walk-ons. Uh, we're not just asking guys to come in here and throw on a helmet and read cards for four years. We believe they have talent, and we believe they have an opportunity to eventually work themselves into a position to get some aid. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great part of it. And, you know, uh, but just to see – Eric be in that spot, going to the junior college, you know, paying for school. Mom and dad, I'm sure, have helped in many, many ways, and the love he has for them is awesome. But walk-ons here are important, and it's an ability to, you know, get in that position and be successful. And I was that guy. I was that guy at Rick's College, and I had that opportunity, and it meant the world to me when I finally reached that goal that I could call mom and dad and say, hey, you know, um, I got my tuition this semester, so uh, I got put on scholarship. There's, there's not many feelings like that in the world. So do you think PK really wanted to know the answer to that question, or do you think he just wanted to make a moon pun there again? See if he could crack you I'm, up. I'm saying, I'm saying the latter. Okay, that's kind of what I thought, too. So, I mean, so. if you do really well, you too, you can have other guys fly them to the Munoz. Okay. <laughs> See, I think that would uh, yeah. validate. Yeah. Our beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, back to football briefly before inevitably there's another moon pun to wrap this interview up. Uh, I'm interested in the fact that Wyoming played Boise State and Utah State in consecutive weeks. As you prepare, do you look at the last, you probably have a habit of looking at the last three or four games or something like that, but do you really zoom in on that one because you've got a common opponent and it's a good team. It's not someone that you both can just, you know, crush. Uh, it went right down to the last possession in your game. They went to overtime. 
Yeah, it's a, there's no doubt. I mean, common opponents are good because you can see the the ability on both sides, especially, you know, I guess maybe even more so for me just because I try to watch both sides as much as I can, and it's hard for me to go back and watch, you know, 10 and 11 games and whatever it may be that I get a – you're right, I kind of focus on the last three or four and see where kids are at and where they're playing. Um, but there is definitely – that's the tape that will break down. And the things that you do that are familiar, you'll want to be able to uh, – that, that you know cross over whether it's a coverage whether it's a type of plays whether it's a formation whether it's a group of personnel uh, you'll definitely break that down and see how they play against each other and I know this Boise's uh, you know they're a very talented team I think they're 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 gifted all over the place they wouldn't be where they were if they if they weren't and uh, yeah, we'll have a work cut out for us and they're coming here and uh, I think this team is very excited to have this opportunity to compete against them on this stage again, right? It's just like a, a year ago they got them in a similar situation, and um, here we go again, late in November. And this is uh, elimination week number three for the young men in this program, and they've passed two tests, and the uh, way they go to the next one, that's just the way our side of the conference is this year. you got uh, three really good teams at the top battling to see who's going to take first place. Well, Gary, thanks for coming on each week. We wish you nothing but success. I think it's safe to say that both DJ and I love you to the Munoz and back. <laughs> You're on one today. I, hey, I love you guys too. Go Aggies. There's PK and I with Gary Anderson. When we come back, we're going to hear from the Utes and from the Cougars. Jeff Grimes, the Cougar offensive coordinator, and Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jeff Grimes, BU Offensive Coordinator, meeting with the media. Let's get his thoughts as the Cougars get ready to go to UMass, where they are 40-point favorites. Here's Jeff Grimes with the media. What would you think of uh, Zach and his first game back after injury? You know, I'm a little rusty, but um, no one has higher expectations um, for Zach than Zach. So I know he'll continue to just improve and get better and better. Any offense on a whole? Um... Not nearly as good as we could be, you know. Uh, had a bunch of yards, but the penalty is completely inexcusable. Part of it, they made it hard on us, and I'll give them credit. I'll give the refs credit because they didn't call something that technically normally gets called. Um, but we still have to have the poise not to not to do that. Idaho did, did a great job with the tactics that they used, um, and we didn't respond very well to it. And so we had a lot of false starts and then, um, and then too many holdings as well. And those things were just drive, drive killers. When we looked back at the game and looked at the drives where we didn't have penalties, we moved the ball pretty well and um, did some good things. But the penalties were certainly killers for us. What do you think Sione uh, Finau has brought to the offense? Um, just a lot of energy. And, you know, he's got such passion for the game that it – that it seeps out of him you know you can you can feel it when you watch him play and when you have a running back like that it adds energy to the whole team 
Jeff, talk about taking the step forward. Teams always talk about it. It's all, you know, it's about yourself, and, and I'm sure you want to see better execution across the board yeah. this week as you get as you face you. Yeah, you know, I talked to the offense about that today, and I, I used Clemson as an example, and I talked about, you know, a, a while back when I was coaching at, at Auburn, we played we played Clemson not long after Dabo had taken over and and back then a lot of people still used the phrase that's Clemson being Clemson so they would lose a game that everybody thought they should win or they would play an opponent that they seemed superior to and play a really close game and people called it Clemsoning and all that and so um, obviously they're not that now and uh, I took something that I heard from from Dabo in a podcast and he talked about um, how he responded to the team after they lost that first national championship. They played to Alabama, and he said he went back and he watched the tape, and he said it was just little things. It was details. It was a, a fumbled snap on the third and one. It was a receiver running a route at nine yards instead of ten, an offensive lineman not blocking on the right angle. And he went back to him and he said, if you all want to take that next step, then we got to have greater attention to detail and we got to work those things every day. And so I said the same thing to our offense today. If we want to take that next step and be a more consistent team, not just the team that steps up and plays when it's a big game or not just the team that plays when our backs are against the wall, but the team that shows up the same way every single Saturday and plays with a certain amount of consistency, we have to practice with a greater level of consistency and, and the devil is in the details. Shows up on the film when you look at the UMass defense. They're giving up so many points and yards. What are you seeing when you when you watch that that side? It's a hard question to answer. I guess. What do you see just in general when you look at the defense? Well, that you'll face. Um, they've given up a lot of yards and a lot of big plays, and so I'm sure their their coaches aren't happy with that. And and um, I, I would assume they're doing everything they can to to uh to fix that but you know if you're giving up a lot of explosive plays those yards add up fast you know um again i give idaho state credit you know we didn't have a lot of big plays you know our run efficiency was 78 percent in the game which is good that means 78 percent of the time we run we're making an efficient gain um that was our highest of the year but we didn't have a lot of big runs because they tackled us pretty well and uh, this defense right now, I think, is, um, is not tackling as well as they could. And I'm sure their coaches are, are paying a lot of attention to that and really working on it this week. Um, they're a Division One team, and they have a lot of players on scholarship. So I'm sure they have enough players to show up and give us a good game, and, and I'm expecting that. Does having the extras of, of knowing where you guys are going for the bowl game and, and that kind of thing kind of help your guys to be able to finish the season strong with the last two games of the season? Do, I don't does it kind know. of take a little bit of a weight off, you think? Or? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that gives them um, something positive or if they lose a little bit of an edge because you already kind of know and maybe you have something a little bit less to play for. The challenge for me and for us, I think, is always to create a team that wants to show up and play their best every Saturday. And so I'm just going to continue with that refrain until we get that kind of team. Um, I don't know whether that whether that gives them an added, an added bonus or not. There's BYU offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes with the media. Now here's the Utes head coach, Kyle Whittingham. Well, Kyle, number seven again, just like last week. Does it mean anything? Uh, the- it's the first time I've heard it. And so same, right? Oh, Status quo. Oh. Everyone yeah, stayed. Cool. Yeah. Every yeah every, Tuesday. Everyone stayed the same. Uh, everyone seven. stayed the same. Gotcha. Okay. So, I guess that's what you'd expect. I don't know. Did you guys expect something different? You never know. Yeah, you never know. 
uh, still some football left. We'll see what happens. We just got to keep doing our thing and take care of our business. How's the focus level been this week? Outstanding. The team is, uh, has been phenomenal from start to finish, from spring ball all the way through uh, as far as their work ethic, their focus, concentration, no lapses. Very, very solid. Is, very that, is that regular or is this kind of It's not regular. It's not regular. I mean, we've had teams come through here that have had outstanding work ethic and, and concentration, and but I think this is a level that we have uh, not been at before. Are you spending any time trying to guess how much of each quarterback you will face on Saturday? No, we're, we're preparing for both. We expect to see both. we got to be ready for both anyways. And so uh, we're just going to be ready for both. That's that's the ammo for us this week. What are the differences that the two guys kind of oh, bring you? Oh, drastic, dramatic differences. Uh, Tate is a... Uh, just an athletic, you know, guy that can that can uh, go 90 yards with the ball running if he needs to. I mean, he's he's got he's got uh, great speed, great athleticism. He throws a good deep ball as well. And the other kid is more of a prototypical, you know, six foot six, 230 pound pocket guy. And so, very very different in their styles. Kyle, did you think Bradley and I would be a guy that would challenge the sacks record when he got here? We did. We did. Yeah, when we first first freshman year, we that was you know among the coaches that was a topic that hey, this guy's really good and he could uh, eventually do something special. How about Hunter had so many sacks though, did you think that that was kind of a number that would sit uh, Hunter was a was just a grinder, in fact that was his nickname, Grinder and, right. and he was he was uh, so consistent and what really helped Hunter was six sacks in one game against right. Arizona State, that, that really put, put him over the top and so but Hunter was uh, a different type of player than Bradley, but uh, both productive nonetheless, very productive. Is, is a J.J. Taylor a different type of, of back than of what you've seen or received? No, it's kind of like Eno Benjamin. Benjamin, yeah, just not quite as big as Eno, but runs every bit as tough. I, you can't believe he's 5'6 and 185 pounds the way he runs. I mean, he punishes people, and we've got a lot of respect for him. Does it feel almost weird the way it's worked out that you haven't faced Khalil Tate hardly at all because of injury and then he wasn't the starter? Uh, I really haven't paid a lot of attention to that, but uh, I guess it could be weird, construed as weird. <laughs> construed is a correct word. I think I was in your yeah, words. I've, I, my vocabulary was weak this morning or yesterday. So. Uh, is Tucson a particularly tough place to play or is any Pac-12? I think it's always tough to play on the road, and uh, you got to be able to handle the crowd noise, a hostile environment, uh, you know, different conditions than you're used to. It's just part of the deal. If you want to have a chance to win championships, you've got to play well on the road. That's just part of the part of the process. You got a couple of those freshman linemen into the game the other day. You've spoken this season about how high you are on that group. Uh, what distinguishes them at this stage of their careers? Just how far along they are and how physical they are. <coughs> Excuse me. They're, uh, you know, 300-plus pounds and, and physical guys and strong in the weight room, uh, athletic, you know, light on their feet, very agile. Uh, we think we hit the jackpot on these young, this group of young old linemen. There's Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham with the media. When we come back, PK and I with Tim Brando. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
Join Hans and Scotty Friday from noon to 3. Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, no surgery, and no needles. DJ and PK, it's time right now to talk college football with Tim Brando from Fox Sports. You heard him on the broadcast as the Utes routed UCLA. He joins us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Tim, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Good to be with you. Good to have you back on the air. Uh, you hit on some topics during the game that are of major interest around here, which is, of course, why you hit on them during a blowout. You had plenty of time to freelance a little bit. And so I'm uh, curious, though, for the people who didn't hear, maybe the fans who are at the game watching it in person, uh, your take on should the Utes be, are the Utes a top-four team? And regardless of whether you believe it or not, do you believe the committee will believe it? Or are you looking at Alabama and Oklahoma and thinking those brand names are going to carry the day? Well, I think you understand where I come from with regard to um, the inconsistencies and the contrived the transparency of the college football playoff committee, you can rest assured uh, they'll find a way to find what's wrong with Utah before they find what's right, and then they'll look the other way and uh, with the same set of circumstances facing one of the pure playoff privilege, that being a brand name like Alabama, uh, find a way to prop them up and keep them from dropping. That happened uh, a week ago with Minnesota. Uh, Mullins, the, the spokesperson, the, the AD of Oregon, used used a stat on Minnesota for why they were where they were, uh, and um, the, the stat could also be applied to Alabama. But he, you know, when it came to Alabama, it was well, you know, the eye test. So, uh, you know, that's that's what they do, and uh, so it's it's always an uphill battle uh, for teams from the Pac-12 that don't have cachet. And I think it's even worse for Utah than it is for Oregon because Oregon is the team from the, the Pac-12 that's had recent success. They're the most recent team to go into the college football playoff. And um, and generally speaking, from a TV standpoint, uh, by Pac-12 standards, would be the the linchpin. You know, the the um, the Ohio State, if you will, of, of ratings. Uh, Oregon has always had a great following. Uh, it's earned that. That's a lot of sweat equity. Uh, their fan base travels pretty well. And they also watch, uh, and they developed a, a brand during that uh, great run of Chip Kelly. So uh, that has carried through for them. Uh, so it's it's going to be more difficult for Utah than it is for Oregon, uh, in large measure because of that. And also Oregon's schedule is, is greater than that of, of Utah's. Uh, you know, who they chose to play and did play non-conference versus uh, who Utah played. But if you also watched... Uh, the, the show that uh, preceded us with Urban Meyer and um, and uh, Brady and, and uh, Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner, I think they all expressed the thoughts that uh, Utah looks like a college football playoff type team, uh, and they certainly do. And uh, you know what's what's missing is that um, that signature win against a uh, you know a top twenty five team, and I think that that opportunity for them will come obviously when they get to play Oregon. Uh, listen, the um, the uh, the loss to USC was a tough one. It was against a third string quarterback, but it was on the road. That didn't seem to bother Georgia losing at home to South Carolina to a third string quarterback, a team that's not nearly as good as USC's. But it you know the warts are there, and they'll be brought up. Uh, they, they always are. 
I'm wondering, Tim, if there can be some type of, I don't know what you would call it, but just a a foundation to have like guidelines. And what I mean by that, as far as choosing the four teams, if you go 12 and one, and obviously you win your league and you win your league uh, final game and all that stuff, which in this case would be Utah. They, we already know they, they'll have to be Oregon. So, you know, we, we recognize Oregon has a better chance, but specifically for the Utes, and it could be any team, any conference really, you go 12-1 and one and you've won your league in the league final that you take precedence over a team that doesn't win its league. Is that something that could be done? <laughs> no, not in the current format, because they built this thing with the thought process in mind that these scenarios could pop up and the protection had to be there for the so-called best teams, which is code for brand names. Uh, and God rest his soul, he did a great job as commissioner of the SEC, but Mike Slive swung a lot of power uh, when this playoff thing was put together in the aftermath of the BCS. And he was the one that basically just uh, you know, drew the line in the sand and said, uh, listen, if it's about championships, we're in trouble because – in the divisional breakouts of uh, power conferences now, uh, you could have a situation where a three- or four-loss team might win a division, get to play for its conference title. Then what do you do? We have to protect ourselves from a three- or four-loss team getting into the fray. By example, last year Northwestern uh, had five losses, and they played for the Big Ten title because the Western division was so much weaker than the East. Um, that's why that was put in there. But – you know the idea that uh, champions, uh, uh, championships, and champions should be a criteria. It is a criteria, but it's one that they'll only use when they want. You know, it's up to their discretion, the committee's discretion, when they use the various criteria that that are listed. And there's so many of them that they can use the criteria as a crutch to hide behind whatever opinion they come out of here with. And and that's the problem. Uh, we will not have, to, to remove the subjective aspect of uh, the choices of the top teams to go into the college football playoff, the only way we can do that, gentlemen, is by going to eight teams. Because then you could say that you have to, you know, championships would matter uh, in the Power Five conferences. And then we'd have two wild cards, and then we could have a um, group of five team, which I think deserves an opportunity to be in the in the college football playoff as well. You know, those those teams virtually have no chance. You know, it's interesting to me, the UCF of this season, we got about five of them, including Utah. <laughs> you know, it's Utah, it's Oregon, it's Minnesota, it's uh, Baylor, it's, we can go on and on. All those teams are, are power five teams. And uh, teams like Memphis, Houston, UCF now, they, they, they don't even get to sniff it. Uh, because of the the process that we have in play. I've always said that uh, if we went to eight teams, we would guarantee the conference champions. And if what uh, Mike Slide was discussing to prohibit that from happening in the current format, if we had a champion with three or more losses from one of the power conferences, at that point we would give the committee the opportunity to review whether that three-loss champion was indeed worthy of being in the college football playoff. At that point in time, we would allow subjectivity to come into play. But, but let's, let, let's let it play out on the field. Let's have legitimate criteria where teams are actually winning their way in based on success on the field. To your point, I think that's what we need to do. 
But in the current format and with only four teams, that will never, ever happen. We're taking quite a bit of blowback from Utah fans for saying a lot of what you just said as far as it's a massive uphill battle for the Utes. Now, their path to get there, obviously they have to win out. There's eight one-loss teams, assuming the three unbeaten Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU run the table. There's one spot, and these eight one-loss teams are fighting for it. Now, one thing that factors in here is how many of these one-loss teams get a second loss? We know the Big 12 title game, the Pac-12 title game, ensure that a couple of teams will take a second right. loss there. Ohio State, can, if they beat Penn State this weekend, they beat Minnesota in the title game, they knock two more out. Do you think Auburn will beat Alabama and give them a second loss and knock the tide out of this conversation? Well, you need to root for that, yes. I mean, you need to have Alabama uh, pick up that second L. But, but let me say this, too. I think that the case for Oregon and for Utah, either one, uh, is improved greatly um, if, if Alabama is the team that's being debated as opposed to uh, uh, Georgia and LSU. If, if Georgia were to beat LSU in the SEC championship game, uh, I think that absolutely closes the door on the Pac-12 entirely because those two teams are going to get in. Georgia would have won the SEC championship. Uh, LSU has four wins against top ten teams at the time that they played them. Uh, and even with a defeat, and I'm, again, I'm assuming that LSU and Georgia would be a highly competitive game if Georgia won. Uh, if that happens, I'm telling you, two teams from the SEC are going to get in. But if LSU handles Georgia, Georgia picks up its second loss, you eliminate them from the conversation, and now the debate becomes a one-loss Alabama that once again did not play for its conference title, but as was the case a few years ago, got in anyway and went on to win the thing. When they're discussing in those, in those rooms at that final, that final meeting, who are the four best teams? If Matt Jones looks good coming in for Tua Tagovailoa and Alabama rolls Auburn and they have one loss, that conversation piece versus a one-loss Pac-12 champion is going to be a difficult one. But I think it's one that the Pac-12 has a better chance of winning than if Georgia were to beat LSU. I think you've got to hope for LSU to beat Georgia and for that debate to be about a one-loss Alabama. Perfect case scenario for fans of the Pac-12 would be, for either Oregon or for Utah, would be for um, LSU to beat Georgia and for Auburn to beat uh, Alabama. If that, that happens, I think it really opens the door for you. Um, something else that you have to remember, too, though, on the outer skirts of this conversation is that Oklahoma is also a big brand name. They're part of the pure playoff privilege. And they have in Jalen Hurts a lightning rod talent that has... Um, Heisman pedigree to him, and as uh, one of those guys that that you could say, gosh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be? You'll hear this, boy. Wouldn't it be a shame if Oklahoma, with only one loss and two wins against Baylor, uh, and they were really dominant, maybe in the in the Big Twelve championship, really be a shame that that kid wouldn't have a chance to play in the college football playoff? That would be the other competition for that spot. Uh, now, I think that uh, that's one that Oklahoma should not win. I would take Utah or Oregon right now over, over OU. But it's one that will pop up if OU handles Oklahoma State in Bedlam and then plays Baylor again in a rematch and blows them out. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that one with Oklahoma and the Hurts uh, story and all that being a brand name. The way I look at Utah, you know, they they – they, I, they could have controlled their non-conference schedule a little bit better and play some more P5s, but their conference schedule is what it is, and it's really not yeah. their fault that this conference is down this year and is really mediocre at best outside of Utah well, and Oregon. We can say the same thing about Clemson. I mean, we can For say sure. the exact same thing about Clemson. The only difference yeah. is they have Clemson's a history. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that for me, the the reason why I think if Utah wins out and beats Oregon, why I d- believe they deserve to go, is I asked Kyle Whittingham this, and you can speak to it because you've called a couple of games with uh, for the Utes playing here in, in recent weeks. Is in my mind, you talk about that eyeball test, and I asked him how many seniors on this defense do you think are NFL prospects, and he listed at least seven, and that doesn't count yeah. Jalen Johnson, who's a junior and is going to play in the NFL. So you're looking at eight potentially of the 12 or 11 starters be in the NFL. So to me, that means, yes, Utah passes the eye test, and yes, Utah Utah can compete with these teams. I don't even factor in the brilliant season that Huntley and Moss are having, but just defensively, if I've got 75% of their guys going to play in the NFL, that's good enough for me. Right, I'm with you. The problem with the eye test is that not enough eyes are watching when you're playing at 1045 at night on the East Coast. Which I think is that—that's what you're playing this week. Now, last week yep. we had you in prime time. Last week we had you in prime time on the East Coast, which I think is helpful. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the game in the aftermath of it all did get a little bit more run. Utah's been more of a talking point with the talking heads uh, whenever college football has come up. But that's another problem: is college football is not getting enough conversation during uh, the week in electronic media uh, as it once did. I think. That's a, that's a real byproduct of, you know, what we've had happen here with uh, the, the who's in mentality that, that really only four or five teams matter. I'll give you an example. I was watching before you guys called me today while I was working on my boards for Wisconsin. and I uh, was doing some paperwork on my game for Wisconsin and Purdue, a pretty important game for the Badgers this week that uh, Spencer and I are going to have. And... Uh, <laughs> I've got ESPN on in the background, and what was the conversation piece? All right, how how good is Mac Jones going to do for Alabama coming in for Tua Tagovailoa? Mac Jones probably this week and next week will have more uh, PR and more conversation than Tyler Huntley ever thought about having, and he's been, in my opinion, one of the most efficient and uh, most impactful quarterbacks in the country this side of Joe Burrow all year long. Uh, it's just a real problem. And uh, uh, my, old, my old friend that I worked with uh, a generation ago on college game day when we started, Pino Cook used to say, you know, I always forget the mountain time zone. And, and it's true. Uh, you know, Oregon gets more run than, than Utah does. And the mountain time zone is, is problematic. It was, you know, a generation ago. It still is today. Um, that's just one of the things you have to fight. And um, I believe that, 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 that Utah, from both an offensive and defensive standpoint, could stand with any one of those teams and beat any one of those teams that are in this conversation. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. And, and I would tell you that even though I haven't had Oregon this year, I will. I believe we're going to do, in all likelihood, uh, it's not been made official yet, but there's a very good chance we're going to do the the um, Civil War game to close out the season uh, up in Eugene. 
So I think there's a good chance we'll be be there for that. But I had them at the end of last year, and I know I've seen you with my own eyes twice, and you were very impressive both times. If if Utah played Oregon right now at, at, at uh, Levi Stadium, I'd pick Utah. I think they're the most. Uh, I think they're a more complete team uh, than Oregon right now. But my opinion uh, doesn't matter, and um, it may matter to some fans in, in uh, Salt Lake, but it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. The the, the, the issue still remains that the, the who's in conversation all season long means that most of the media focus is on these brand names and only these brand names. So when the subject matter of Utah or Oregon comes up, most people that are in the central time zone and the eastern time zone, they couldn't name they couldn't name two or three players on your team. I've, I've been, I live in the South. I live in the SEC. And I'm telling these people <laughs> that are around me, hey, uh, there's three talents offensively, the Hallandale three, that could be in the SEC. In all likelihood, should be in the SEC. But Dennis Erickson went out and recruited his butt off while he was there as a running backs coach. And uh, with the help of, of a few other people, they were able to get these guys uh, out of Hylia Gardens and a few other places in, in South Florida next to Miami, and look at what you've got. You know, Simpkins is an incredible uh, receiver, uh, dynamic receiver. Huntley's, uh, as I said, uh, the most efficient, undervalued quarterback in the country, ought to be invited to New York, should be in the Heisman conversation, and isn't. And uh, Zach Moss is just a warrior. I mean, he's like uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch light. Uh, he's going to be a big-time pro. He can catch passes and run it right up the gut. He, he can beat you with speed and power. Um, but but these these kids are largely anonymous because of not just the, the region of the country we're discussing, but because of the uh, the laziness of the of the way the sport is covered by the electronic media in college football today. Do you think it's laziness, or do you think it's market-driven? It's the fact that 70% of the people no, in America live no, in those two time zones. No, no, it's laziness. If, if all we have to talk about is Alabama, Georgia, LSU, uh, Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, if all we have to talk about are the Blue Bloods, then that means there's more time to discuss Harbaugh, there's more time to discuss you know, controversial coaches and big names to get in, a, you know, with, with these debate shows that are out there now, and they're on ESPN as well as my, my network. Fox is running them at nauseum. Uh, if we limit the, the, these these shows that we're seeing primarily on on ESPN and Fox to embrace debate, conversation, dialogue, then no one's learning anything. There, there's nothing. There's no information out there. Uh, and even on the shows that, that I'm, I'm really proud of, our college football show on the weekends. I mean, it's marvelous. I think what uh, the Big Noon kickoff has done has been fantastic. But you don't have a show on a regular basis on FS1 that is dealing with college football on a regular basis. And you really don't on ESPN either, unless you want to go to the college football live thing, which is, is to me, uh, you know, not a very good show and not one that I, 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 uh, I pay much attention to. Uh, the NBA, the NFL, and all of the, the, the drama that surrounds both of those leagues their owners and their players, uh, and to some extent their commissioners, that's what hogs all of the airtime. And when it comes to college football, rather than really covering the entire landscape, the media chooses to pick out the five or six because it's easy with the who's in brand. Uh, the, the branding of this process has helped bring college football to its knees in terms of coverage 
for all of the programs at the Division One level. I really believe that. I think it's been a disgusting and pathetic process that has taken college football, which during the BCS era was clearly getting a lot of attention. I mean, a lot of attention. And now that we've expanded it to four and it's become this who's in thing, we've dumbed down the conversation to a point where most people outside of their region don't know very much about any of the other teams around the country. Tim, as always, we appreciate the time and the opinions. Thanks for coming on the air. You bet. My pleasure, fellas. Anytime. There's Tim Brando from Fox Sports. PK and I coming up next with What is Trending, all the headlines. Stay with us.